The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. I just want to thank, there, woo, there it is. just want to thank some of our guys this week who helped us move. Uh, I believe I'm getting all these names right. John, John, Carlos, Don. Sounds like a law firm, doesn't it? John, John, Carlos, and Don. And uh, who else am I missing on here? Um, Ray, Mr. Ray, and uh, Rick, Rick Kane, not the least, and certainly Rick. Thank you guys for your help this week in helping to move. Uh, we are settled in, uh, and uh, that's why I'm not wearing a tie today. I couldn't find the ironing board. I know where the iron's at, but I have no idea where the ironing board is, so uh, that didn't do too well. And uh, I'll tell you a story, many of you know later, but uh, I've already got our house pretty nasty, so uh, uh, many of you will hear that story later. But thank you guys for the privilege it is. We're in Liberty now. Uh, my wife and I were up late last night with her son. That's why they're not here. So uh, we appreciate your prayers for our family, and thank you all for your grace in doing that. All right, are we ready to start today? Are there any hockey fans out there? Two, the, the three of you, the, all the guys raise their hands. I think there's a few. Nikki, I see you. Uh, you know, I'm not a big hockey fan, but I, I can remember a few years ago on a trip for the seminary. Thank you. Boo me later. Uh, I can remember a trip on the seminary that uh, we went on. There was a game seven. I don't know. I just pulled a random picture, but a game seven. I was on an airplane with the seminary, and I remember people just leaning forward for this game seven. And if you weren't a hockey fan or you were, everyone on the plane had on their screen this Game 7. And, and, and two-thirds of the screens were there, and then every screen had it. But I got so tired of watching other people's, I had to turn it on myself. It's Game 7. Everything's on the line. And people are standing on their feet in the airplane with the, with the fasten the seatbelt sign cheering on their team. And I'm just thinking, it's hockey. And that's all I could think. Who will prevail, right? But, you know... Um, I, I was, as I often do, I, I was thinking, that's the way we view God often, is, is, is how these people were viewing this hockey game. I don't know who won, don't ask me. I don't even know who the teams are, so don't even ask me that, please, either. But I think sometimes we view the way that we see God, the way these people were straining to see this hockey game on a plane, on those little three-inch screens. Maybe we think God views the events of history like those people. They're on the edge of their seats, and uh, hoping against all hope or for all hope that their team wins. And, and there are some people that view God this way, that they're just waiting for it to happen, hoping that it'll happen. Some people view God uh, kind of sitting on the sidelines, and uh, he's chosen who wants to win and intervenes when he wants to. You know, when that puck gets a little too close to the wrong goal, he somehow blows in his divine breath and blows it back the other way like a magic trick. Uh, he doesn't mess with too many things just when his team's not winning is how some people view God. Maybe that's how you feel about the Chiefs or the Royals. I don't know, but there it is. And, you know, other people view God like this. They just know that God knows all the possibilities, and, 
everything that happens, and he sits and he watches, and he's not surprised because he knows, but because he knows all the possibilities, when it happens, again, he's not surprised, but he's not really in control. He just knows all the plan A's, B's, C's, D's, E's, and everything else. So which hockey fan are you with your view of God today? Let's put up Isaiah 46 on the screen, if we will, Amy. Let's remind ourselves what the Bible says. I am God, and there is no one else. I am God, and there's none like me, Isaiah says. Do you know that each of those three views of God are actually not what anything of what the Bible says? That may surprise you, but in Exodus 4, we're going to look at a picture how God is totally sovereign. God is totally in control of all things. You say, Darren, haven't we covered this? Not in this detail. And we're going to see a picture of something that we don't all like that much. We don't talk about much. It's God's sovereignty. And the question is, do you believe in this God or do you believe in the God of the, uh, the, the airplane hockey fan experience? Because, friends, here's the big idea. If God is less than sovereign, he would be less than God. What do I mean by sovereign? I mean, he is in control of everything. Let that sink in for a second. Everything. Not just small things, but everything. This isn't a God sitting on the sidelines watching the game unfold and rooting and hoping with all hope, with all the possibilities that his team might win. Nor is it a God deciding every now and then to jump in because, oh man, they're getting ready to score on the goal and he's just got to nudge that puck a little bit a different way. The God of the Bible is a God who is sovereign, who's telling Moses here, as we'll read, exactly what is to happen and is to happen by his sovereign plan and decree over all the universe. But friends, we don't like this much if you know this topic because it really makes us uncomfortable. I'll be honest with you, it does. We can't wrap our minds around God being in control of all things, everything. And we don't like the idea, frankly, that we're not in control, right? Maybe you don't feel that way. I often do. And we live lives that say that we are in total control until something goes wrong. And then we blame God and say, God, where were you? When we would have done it better because, of course, we know better, right? And number one, we also say, God, I want complete control over the things I can control in my life. And when I want you to intervene like that puck scoring in the right goal, I want you to jump in, God. But don't cross my barrier. That's my personal space, God. You know, I, 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 God, I don't want to be completely sovereign over all the world. I just want a God who does things to the extent that happen in my life with the way I think they should go. You can't say amen to that. Say ouch. Guys, we want a God powerful enough to do anything we desire. We want a God who is free enough that controls all things that don't concern us, but not to exercise freedom over me, myself, and mine, and my space. I want a God that's completely sovereign in my control and can have the rest of the world, and God is free to do that as long as he doesn't allow the rest of the world to reign on my parade in his sovereignty, if that's what it means. But friends, that's not the God that we see in the Bible. That's not the God that we see in the Bible. You know, we have a great unifying document as, as, as Baptists, and Matt, thank you for printing this up for me this morning, that is called the Baptist Faith and Message. And this topic, I just want to read what Baptists believe about this and what we're talking about. I think it's very pertinent. It says that, uh, that God's sovereignty is consistent with the free agency of man and comprehends the means and the connection with the end. It's a glorious display of God's sovereign goodness, and he is infinitely wise, holy, and unchangeable. And if you believe this, it says it excludes all boasting and promotes humility. Friends, that's what we've been looking at the last few weeks. The last couple weeks, we've seen that God is completely in control of all plans. We saw that a couple weeks ago. 
The weeks before that, we saw that God is all-powerful, He's all-wise, He's all-knowing, He's all-sufficient, He's all those things, the omnis. And last week, we saw the supremacy of God. Who are you? Why are you here? What is wrong with you and what is wrong with you can be made right? And this week in Exodus 4, we're going to look at three things. A passage you may say, that's kind of odd you got that out of there, but I hope you'll follow it. We're going to see that God sovereignly, in His power, decrees or plans whatever comes to pass. We're going to see, secondly, that God sovereignly decrees, his decrees and plans aren't based on anything or anyone. What a blessing that is for us. And this one might throw you for a loop, but God sovereignly saves people for his own glory. Are the theological hairs on the back of your neck starting to crawl a little bit? They shouldn't be, because this is straight Bible, guys. This is straight Bible. But I pray we do this with humility, because friends... We have to know this is the God that we serve is in control of all things. And yes, did God know that the Royals were going to win the World Series? If you can't say amen, what do you say? Ouch. Yes, he did. And friends, let me know. He knows that the Royals will win the World Series this year. But regardless whether they win, we have a God who's in control of all those elements, including how fast that ball comes from the pitcher's arm. Think about that for a second. Let's stand up as we join together in reading God's Word this morning and talking about this. And thank you for your patience with me as I uh, have this kind of nasally stuff. Uh, thank you for your patience as we uh, go and read through this. Exodus four eighteen and following. And this is in the middle of uh, Moses and his journey out. But Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And The Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all these men who are seeking your life are now dead. So Moses, verse 20, took the wife, his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey. And he went back to the land of Egypt and Moses took the staff in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I, that's God speaking, will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you will shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. God is sovereign. What does this mean? Let's unpack it this morning as we bow our heads in prayer this morning with God. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you that you are sovereign over uh, the entertainment of our lives, Lord. Father, even the difficult times of our lives, Lord, nothing happens without your permission. We know that from Job, but Lord, help us this morning, whether we are struggling with the passing of a loved one or the celebration of a new life or whatever it is to remember that you are the one that provided in your sovereignty, in your control, in your planning, all the things that are before us. Father, that is, that is really hard to wrap our minds around. Father, help us today even to get a minutia of what that looks like as we study through this passage. Lord, open up our hearts. May your spirit illumine our hearts to see the word as it is. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you. You know, I think it's always good to define your terms before we start, so we're going to do that very quickly. Let me just make a statement here as we start out that, uh, guys, God decrees, he decrees, he plans the end from the beginning. God doesn't plan as history unfolds. God is de- decreed everything from eternity past. Nothing surprises him, and you'll see this up on the screen, but God is free to plan what he wants to plan. Psalms makes that very clear. He doesn't change anything in his plans based on us. God is also all wise. He knows the end from the beginning, and he alone is only able to plan what has come to pass, what will happen in our lives, in our history. 
And aren't you grateful for this third one, especially that he is unchanging, that when he plans something, it sticks like, uh, man, like you, I don't even know, it just sticks. And he's, his wisdom is perfect, and therefore it sticks. And lastly, they are effectual, these plans, these decrees, these sovereign movings of God. Whatever he sets up, it, it gets accomplished. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if every time you tried to play basketball and you shot it, it would go through the hoop with a three? Those of you who are basketball players, you make Stephen Curry look like a child in a kid's league. I mean, that's how bad it would be. Friends, there's not a square inch where God cannot say, that's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And we say, yes, pastor, duh, don't you know this? You went to seminary and this is all you got? Come on now. But friends, there's one area where this gets us in real trouble. If you really think about how the extent this goes. It's the problem of evil and suffering. And we've danced around this a little bit in past weeks. But we say we love a God who's in control of all things, who's planned all things, when things work out well for us or for others. But what if you're like this guy in the picture? What if you're like this guy who's driving, uh, and, and you know, and you're riding down the road, and how many of y'all have ever nodded off of the wheel? Anybody? I've done it. I admit it. Sadly, haven't hit anything. But let's say you nod off, and you hit a telephone pole, and you wake up, or you're about ready to, and you wake up, and you swerve off right before you hit that pole, what would you say? You would say, praise God. He's sovereign. He's in control. Thank you, God, for sparing my life. But what happens if you don't wake up, and you have a van load full of people, and you accidentally, unintentionally nod off, and everyone in that car perishes because you hit that pole? We sometimes want to protect God, don't we? We say, God, He doesn't really control those things, does he? I mean, that's tragic. Wouldn't that just be a terrible thing? Friends, that's kind of like saying you're almost pregnant or you're kind of pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. Either God is sovereign or he isn't. Either he's sovereign over all things in control of all things that come to pass or he's not sovereign at all. And I'll be honest, even as a pastor, that's sometimes hard to grasp, but it is, folks, it is reality. So let's look at our first point here since we have our terms down and That is that God decrees whatever comes to pass. He plans it, whatever comes to pass. Again, there is no accident here. God knew that Moses was going to be out in the desert and that he would see the burning bush in Exodus 3. He knew all those things. And sometimes we often say, again, God, you would have nothing to do with this bad thing happening. But friends, be very, very careful. If you say that God doesn't have control over even a renegade atom or molecule in the world, you're saying that God does not have control over something. And if you say God does not have control over something, you're opening yourself up a can of worms, a Pandora's box. You don't want to run around. That's like saying that God has renegade sinners running around that can never be punished for their their sins. God is in control, yet we sin. We sin all the time. And he doesn't have to make them sin. We are born into that sin. You know, have you ever heard that phrase? Maybe you've said it yourself. Everything happens for a reason. Ever said that before? Here's the first sub point I want you to look at. Everyone believes that to some extent. Everything happens for a reason. But the question is, friend, do you believe in the God whose sovereign reason everything happens? You see the reversal there. It is God who's the cause agent behind those things, and that is so important to us. But before we get upset that God is using evil people and their evil actions in this world in his plan, you need to find a non-evil, non-sinning person. If you are that person, would you please stand up? Thank you. No one did. You are correct. Good job, guys. You know, until you've done that, guys, we have no right to be upset with God. I mean, think about it. 
How can us sinful creatures tell a holy God what is right when we are the ones who have messed it all up to begin with? So you're left with two choices. Either God looks and allows sin without any control. He's like that, that one view of God where he just sits back and he just waits for the time to pounce in and set things right. Or as the Bible says, God is all wise and he strains and constrains to use sinful men and their sinful actions to bring him glory and those he foreknew to salvation, the elect that we believe. That's why I want you to look at verse 21 with me again. We're not going to go through this whole passage. We're going to focus in on 21 through 23. But look back at verse 21. Big question. God says this. He says, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do not, uh, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've given you, put in your power, but I will harden his heart. What I'd like to do just over the next couple of minutes is just read over some verses. You can jot these down. These are in Exodus about the hardening of the heart. Does God really harden Pharaoh's heart here? What about his free will? How does that work? How does that multiply into this? Well, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read them for you. But how about Exodus 7.3? God speaking, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and through him multiply signs and wonders. God didn't give the signs and wonders to persuade Pharaoh, God was using Pharaoh's heart as an example of how he has planned all things to bring it about. What about Exodus 10? The Lord said to Moses, 10, 1 and 2, go into Pharaoh, for I, God, have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. Why? That I may show these signs of mine among them. Exodus 10, verse 1. God has hardened. He has planned to harden that heart from eternity past. What about Exodus eleven ten? Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And here's the catchphrase, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go out of the land. Exodus 14, 4, God speaking, I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he will not, that he will pursue them. Then I, that's God, will receive glory by the means of Pharaoh and his army and they will know that I am God. That destroys most of what you're going to get in most churches today, friends. This is our God, the sovereign God. How about Exodus 7, 13? Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Exodus 9, 7. Pharaoh sent messengers who saw that not one of the Israelites' livestock was dead, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not let the people go. What's the point, Pastor? Guys, the point is simply this. We have this picture God says, I will harden his heart. And then we have the other examples on the flip side of Pharaoh hardening his heart. If you're confused, say amen. Let's study it together. Exodus 8, 15. But when Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart. Three emphasis there. And would not let them go as the Lord had said. So who hardened who? Did God harden Pharaoh's heart or did Pharaoh harden his own heart? Exodus 8.32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and didn't let the people go. Exodus 9.34, when Pharaoh saw the rain, the hail, the thunder had ceased, he sinned again and he hardened his heart, he and his officials. So which is it? Is it God hardened his heart? Yes. Did Pharaoh harden his heart? Yes. What's the answer? Yes, both. That's the second sub point Amy's going to put up on the screen for you. We don't say Lord willing to sound super spiritual when we talk about these things, but we really believe that God is sovereign. He may or may not be willing to do certain things, 
Friends, God's plan, God's sovereign passing plan was he decreed that this would come to pass. He raised up Pharaoh and hardened his heart in his sovereignty so that he could receive glory, God could receive glory. Whether it was God or Pharaoh, it was the sovereign Lord of the universe behind it. And Pharaoh doesn't harden his own heart apart from God's plan for him to do that. Who created Pharaoh? God did. Who put Pharaoh as king? God did. Let me give you an example. I'm hungry right now. I don't know about you. I love ice cream. Uh, here's a great picture of ice cream. Pick your flavor. Welcome to Baskin Robbins. How may I help you? My pleasure. That's Chick-fil-A. Sorry. You know, I put ice cream before you, and you are, you are free to choose whatever ice cream you like, but you can't choose your own taste buds. Think about this. You can't choose, as a baby, your first encounter with ice cream, right? Some of you hate vanilla with a passion. Boy, I would take you out and beat you up because I love vanilla with a passion because my folks gave me vanilla. When you walk up here and take your ice cream, you exercise your free will, but you have no control over some things that led you in one way or another. Who has control over these things? God and his sovereignty does. Does this mean you're a robot? No, it does not. But his providence brings us these things. Friends, we don't like this, but it is so important. That's why, friends, as you, the, the greatest purpose, the greatest fuel behind evangelism is knowing that God knows those who are his. That's why any pastor, any person, any lay person can go out into the streets of Westport on a Saturday night and preach the gospel. And it's like a, it's like a shotgun, not literally a shotgun, but it's like a shotgun approach. And God is going to bring someone out of there eventually for his glory to know him. Because God knows those who will come to faith in him. He has decreed all things, just as he did with Pharaoh and Moses. Confused yet? Say amen. A little bit. All right, let's move on. Number two, friends, God's plans aren't based on anyone or anything. If it were, he would not be sovereignly in control. He couldn't promise or guarantee anything to us. Again, if I, you know, this theology study that we do, we're, we're studying the great doctrines of God. Friends, these are not impractical to you. You know, uh, I'll just go ahead and share the story. I wasn't going to go here yet, but uh, many of you know Friday, I uh, posted this up. My wife, with my permission, posted this on Facebook, uh, trying to be the efficient husband and get my son to quit grabbing the fireplace soot and getting it all over things. I decided to plug in the shop back and take care of business, guys. You know what I mean? Forgot to put the filter in the shop back. And I forgot to cover the output hole with it, something else. So when you start sucking things and there's an open hole with no filter, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> it's on the walls. It's on the furniture. It's on the carpet. It's on our clothes. That's another reason I'm not wearing a tie today. It's all over the place. And you know what, guys? <laughs> My wife just said, you got to laugh at this because God knew this was going to happen. It's one of those times as a pastor, you're speaking about the sovereignty of God. God plans all things. God knows all things. And here I am, the living sermon example right before my very eyes. You can laugh with me. You just pray the insurance covers all the costs, right? Three days in a new house, and it's already as black as a coal mine or something like that. It's a mess, guys. It really is. But you know what? I'm grateful that even through the messiness, sootiness stuff of life that God uses things for his glory, and it's not based on us. Trust me, if God wanted to use me to share the gospel through being a shop vac technician, I would have failed that test a long time ago, right? Guys, but God, he knows those who are his. You know, and we often say, 
Well, didn't God just look down through time and, and see who would choose him? No, he, he did not. Because man is not sovereign and God is. And friends, there, and this is the first subpoint. there is no more soul-humbling truth than the sovereign grace of God. When we ask that question, God, why me? Why me? Why me? The Bible says, remember this and be brave. Take it to heart, you sinners. Remember what happened long ago, for I am God, there's no other. I am the God who declares the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done. My plan will take place and I will do it my way or do my will. Our God does whatever pleases him. Our God is not waiting on anyone. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. When you came to know Jesus Christ, when I came to know Jesus Christ, it was because he had planned it as so. I mean, think about it. If you're a Christian here today, think about this for just a second. God isn't dependent on you. If you became a Christian, think about all the multiple times someone shared the gospel with you. You may have wanted to just throw them out on the street because they were so annoying with it. But God is all wise. He knew exactly where you needed to be at the exact same time and the people you needed to talk to. That wasn't happenstance. That was a God of sense, if you want to say it that way. Can you wrap your mind around that? Some would say to run the universe rightly, God needs men who are frail, flawed, and fragile to fill his infinite, untainted wisdom and play it out. But how could that be? How could a God who uses a, a, you saw this in here, Moses had killed a man, an Egyptian man, two chapters earlier. You may remember that. God uses a man who ran away from his calling for 40 years, and yet how could God need us to direct or exercise his will? It's not in the Bible. We find a God saying, here is what you are to say, and here's what you are to do, Moses. And here's your response, and you're going to tell him this, and he's going to say this. God's telling Moses exactly what he is to do. Friends, that's great comfort for you, because sometimes you are in a, <laughs> you're in a messy situation, and sometimes you don't know what to do. Maybe it's family, maybe it's soot on the walls, maybe it's a, I don't know, fill in the blank. Maybe you don't know what's going to happen, but God does. What great comfort it is to know that he is there to hear your prayer and he knows the end and the way and the means. It isn't just because God figured it out, he planned it. He works out history and there's no accident in working out that history. Okay, say, so okay, Darren, are you saying that God is guilty and sinful? Isn't he a sin-creating God, didn't he? Isn't he the author of evil? I mean, isn't that kind of what you're saying? No, let's listen to the Bible. James 1.16 don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every generous act and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. First John 1 John 1.5, this message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Whatever God does is right. Whatever he plans is right. Even when God uses sinful actions of sinful men to bring him glory, friends, it is right. God can only do what is right. This is the second subpoint. Believing God is sovereign doesn't mean we have to have all the answers to why everything happens. That's hard, isn't it? It really is. Some of you have had some very tragic things happen in your life, whether it's a family member loss or it's a job loss or, Lord, uh, even in the ministry, you know, God, I remember several years ago, uh, just third person, you know, you may say, God, I remember several years ago when things were going so well. God, what happened? What Did we change a method? Did we? Friends, it's okay when things like that happen to say, I don't understand it, God. 
I don't want it, God. I, 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 or I want it, I don't want it. But it is wrong for us to say, church. It's wrong for the pastor to say that God is wrong. Not only is he not wrong, he can't be wrong. He's perfect. And the reason I don't like whatever it is in front of me is I can't see as he sees, as he works out everything that he has planned according to his will. Maybe you're here today and you are really going through a hard time. You probably are. And whatever I'm called to endure, whatever you're called to endure is for the glory of God and for my good. Trust me. There's a lot of other things we'd rather be doing on a Friday afternoon, 15 minutes before we've got to pick up our son at the early childhood center over off Church Road, than cleaning up soot all, all over our house. Just going to be honest with you. But my wife, God bless her, said, you know, maybe the Lord has a plan in all this. Maybe despite all this stuff, this, this <laughs> nastiness in film, I mean, it's on our toothbrush. It, it's a mess, man. It's bad. Darren, maybe God has a plan in all this. Thank you, honey. Because guess what? That's what I'm preaching on on Sunday, and I have a feeling that God's going to use this some way. Here's what you need to know, Christian. If you're a Christian here today, you know that the greatest changes in your life, the greatest growth in your life, and making you more like Christ are usually in your darkest days, aren't they? They're usually in times when you can't fathom how you'll ever be okay with whatever it is again. It is those times when God uses you, strengthens you, builds you, and draws you to himself. Friend, do not despise those times. Last night, our garage door broke. I hit the button, and the garage door broke. Thank you, Darlene and Ben, for helping getting me in contact. Hopefully, get that fixed. What else can go wrong? I said that to myself last night. Um, I'm not a cook, so if CC's or a pizza street goes wrong, I'm really in trouble. That's what I say. <laughs> you know, guys, we don't like that stuff sometimes, do we? But it's real. I think right here, right now, what I like, what I need right here, right now, but all I can see is the here and now, and sometimes it's hard and it's painful, and I'm not thinking that God is making me fit for heaven, but whatever loss we've suffered this side of heaven, let me know that God is going to double it, triple it, whatever he does for us in heaven, because we are going to be conformed through those hard times to the image of Jesus Christ, and that is what it's all about. G. Campbell Morgan, an old-time Presbyterian preacher, said this, I think I've used this, il actually, I, I, this illustration, I don't know if I've used before, but it's so good, it's worth repeating if I have. Here's a great quote from him. He says, judge not by the circumstances of the passing hour, but by the infinite things of our gospel and our God. Ooh, that's good wisdom. He said this in a sermon right before a lady came up to him and said, pastor, I only take the big things to God. I don't take small things to God because he doesn't need to be bothered with those small things. And G. Campbell Morgan, in all his wisdom, looked at her sternly and said, Lady, anything you take to God is little. Hmm. Think about that for a second. Friends, you can bring anything to God because anything you bring to God is little, even if it's little to you. Friends, you can say, you can trust this God. You say, Aaron, if God is all sovereign, if he's planned all things, if he put Moses at this place in this time, why pray? Friends, if God is not sovereign, why pray? God's not in control of all things. You're trusting merely a, a hope and a wish and a Hail Mary pass of a prayer. We pray because our all-knowing, all-sovereign God uses means in order to accomplish his will. And believing God is sovereign and in control doesn't mean we stop praying or sharing the gospel or, or doing anything to save any sinner in this world. It means we have a reason to pray and we have a reason to go no matter what the circumstance is. Isaiah 37, 21, because you have prayed to me, 
The sovereign God answers prayers, even, even waits for us to pray. Matt, I'm going to use one of your phrases. That's not only mind-blowing, Matt. That's mind-expanding that God would do that. Our God is not only God who answers prayers. He's sovereign, but we do not have church because we don't ask. Richard, every Sunday night at 5 o'clock, you always say, Lord, thank you for bringing the simple things. And Richard goes through a list, and I appreciate that list every Sunday. If you want to pray with us, 5 o'clock Sunday here in the Welcome Center. But we pray, and God does not disappoint. Because God's plans are not based on anyone or anything. He's planned all things. So let's go to the last little part here and get back to our text. Not only does God plan whatever comes to pass in his sovereignty, not only... Our God's plan is not based on anyone or anything. Lastly, God saves his elect for his own glory. God saves his elect for his own glory. Do you know these Israelites? Do you know how God describes them? Some of you are reading through the Bible right now. Do you know how God often describes these Israelites? They are a stiff what? Stiff-necked people. That's like a kid when you try and pry him off their favorite game, just holds on until he's white in the knuckles. That's, that's the picture there, if you want to use that. They are stiff-necked people. And yet God will save the stiff-necked elect people in Exodus 4. Everything that God's going to do through Moses to Pharaoh is for the salvation of his people and the praise of his name, of God's name. God is glorified as he brings just condemnation and judgment on Pharaoh just as much as he is glorified in his sovereignty for saving those people, the Israelites, for his glory. So why were you saved if you're a Christian here today? Was it because you're prettier than the rest? You might be prettier than the rest and probably are, but that's not why. Because you have a soot-free house? Probably not. Why were you saved? Why do all these things come to happen in your life? They All of them come to pass, and there are a million more here. You are saved for God's glory. Matt read a very hard, uh, can I just be honest with you? Matt read a chapter and verses that split churches, guys. They do. Matt, Blake, Romans 9, I, they're both nodding their heads. It splits churches. It shouldn't, but it does. God in his sovereignty saves his elect through the prayers of the elect. That's the first sub-point you need to know. Who are the elect? Who are they? Why? Uh, who are they? Do they have a big E on their forehead? Wouldn't that be nice? I've joked with some of you. I wish my smartphone app, had, as a pastor, had a little app that said, beep, Christian, eh, not. That would make my job so much easier sometimes. And it would make your job sharing the gospel easier. If you could just go up and say, hey, let me see your forehead. Doot, doot, doot. Christian, yeah. Eh, no, not a Christian. You need the gospel. Jesus loves you. Here's, a, here's, here's his plan for your life. Friends, we don't make these things happen. God does. God does. Look back at verse 22. We'll get back to our text a little bit here. He says, uh, God says, Then you'll say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I, that's God, will kill your firstborn son. God isn't being impulsive here. This isn't God reacting to the, uh, the enslavement of his people. God is the one who will sit on the throne of Egypt. Pharaoh believes that he's the incarnation of Ra, the, the great god of the Egyptians. And he believes in and worships not the one true God. Pharaoh is a guilty of idolatry, and he's guilty of being the object of idolatry. And God says very clearly here that he and Egypt deserve to die. And we may say, well, isn't God being unfair? Every one of these people 
folks deserves to die for their idolatry. They have sinned and offended a holy, righteous God, and every one of them deserves to die. Let me just be very clear on this third point. God is glorified both when he punishes the wicked for their wickedness and redeems some by his grace. That brings him glory. Rejoice in justice and rejoice in mercy, Christian, today. Let me read Romans 9 for you again. What then shall we say? Is there injustice with God? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. This is where Matt started off. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I've raised you up that I might show your, my power in you and my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Friends, this is our God. He doesn't have to make the wicked rebel. They're already rebelling. And some would say, how is it that God will elect some for this or some for that? What is going on here? How does God save some and God not save others? Friends, let's just be very honest here. Every one of us deserves God's judgment in hell. Would you agree with that? Last sub point here is election, the saving of God's people by his sovereign plans is for the glory of God, the humility of us, of man, and the upsetting of all the pride that we are owed. It's not that God makes some people to be wicked unjustly. Everyone is wicked. Everyone is unjust to God, and everyone deserves God, deserve God's judgment in hell. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, made us alive in Christ that while we were yet sinners, by his grace we have been saved. It is grace. Every one of us who's wicked and deserves for God to glorify himself in his wrath on us, if we are saved here today, it's not because you're prettier than the rest, you're taller, you're wider, you're shorter, you're skinnier, you're whatever. It is by God's mercy that you are saved. Church, are you grateful for that? God determined that his glory would be served even if his grace and mercy, he only saved some. He says, let me, let my firstborn son go. You say, well, God, God is just being mean here. Why would he just, why would he harden fear? How could this happen? God says, I got this. Israel were the chosen ones and they don't deserve it. And God is going to vindicate for his glory by destroying these Egyptians. Death in Egypt will be for his glory. The taking of the firstborn. They had been warned by sign. You know, those of you who know the plague, sign after sign after sign after sign. And eventually they just gave up. They said, no, we won't, we, I won't let them go. And friends, God is completely just in doing what he is doing. Jesus is the only begotten son of God, and he is the true Israel. And he says, out of Egypt, I called my son. And he goes into Egypt, Jesus says later on, to fulfill this prophecy Pharaoh is guilty because he's killed many who represent this God that God has chosen. And God will kill eventually through Christ, his only begotten son, so that the firstborn, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And it's Christ that allows God to be both the just and justifier of the ones who trust in him. And the question comes up again, Pastor, you're beating around the bush. How can God look at some and say, I save you and not you? I save you and not that guy. Friends, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. We have all gone astray. But the sin of all of us was placed on him. And Jesus receives more wrath from the Father than Pharaoh ever received. Jesus saved more sinners than Moses ever could. And Jesus, all at once, the oppressed, mistreated, and abused, firstborn of Israel, took that on for us. We will understand all this, all the ins and outs of it, 
as the old hymn said, I don't know what the hymn is, by and by, what, what hymn? Sweet by and by. We will know all this someday at that point. But you know, I think a lot of us are like this picture up here. At least I feel this way at times. Sometimes, many stores have mannequins. The lack of a better word, and the pastor would be the first in this list, are dummies. The job of a dummy is to magnify the fashion in the store. You ever think about that? You pass them all the time. They put clothing on the dummy, and the dummy is supposed to act as an attraction to lure the customer into the store. Sometimes, more often than not. And they're to look at the clothes on the dummy and be drawn into that and say, man, I really want that. And the clothes on the dummy didn't come from the dummy or the mannequin, did it? The clothes were put there by the owner of the store, and, and the owner of the store put the clothes so folks outside would be attracted inside based on how the mannequin works. Friends, on our best days, pastors number one in this line, we are not much better than mannequins, are we? Or dummies. What God wants us to do as we live out his glory in seeking to share the gospel, is to get dressed up. He's given you a new nature, Christian. He's given you new life. He wants you to dress up, and he's saying, listen, dummy, I want you to attract people to me by sharing the gospel, not by method or madness, but when times are going good, but also in the bad times. Look, that is your job, is to show forth my glory. And God is after making sure he looks good. That's why if you can make this switch a small switch because it involves one thing. Friends, it's a whopping switch that God must turn on in your soul. If you are a Christian here today, let me just repeat what is being said. You are not a Christian here today because you once made a decision for Jesus Christ. You are a Christian here today because God, according to Ephesians 2, gave you the gift of salvation and he gave you the grace to respond to that gift. For friends, we are dead in our sins. There's nothing good that lives in us. There's nothing in us that seeks after God. But just like those dummies have to be dressed up, we had to be dressed in the righteousness of Christ because there's nothing that responded to God's stimuli. But by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts by God's sovereign plan, God has saved us not because he saw anything good in us, but because he saw his mercy lavished on us. And oh, how that should make us humble. God is glorified in your life, Christian, not when you have the most Bible knowledge or as we've been doing on Wednesday nights, the fastest Bible drill. God is most glorified in your life when you realize that you owe everything to him, the sovereign God that he is, the sovereign God that he is. God isn't sitting idly by waiting for the game to pass. He's not watching the game to give a side, uh, see what happens to give a special advantage to a team. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe and his plans don't negate but enhance our accountability for those choices. Friends, you, you make real choices. You do. But I want you to know that God knows those choices inside and out. And one day we will spend the rest of eternity with him knowing that we are in his presence, not by our exertion, not by anything we brought to the table, but all by grace. Because friends, if you could, if you could love Jesus as a natural sinner person, you could unlove Jesus just the same. Friends, you are kept in. You know, we have that old Baptist doctrine. There's a better name for this, but that old doctrine, once saved, always saved. You ever heard that before? There's a lot of you folks who've been around church. What does that mean? That means that we believe that when God saves a person, they can't lose that salvation. But friends, how did they get that salvation? Who gave it to them? God did. Who can take it away from them? If God is for us, what's the song say? Who can be against us, right? 
Christian, if you're here today and you struggle with your identity in Christ, know that you have to recognize God's part over every part of your life, including your salvation. You did not choose God. God chose you. And because of that, if you are truly a Christian by repentance and faith in Christ, you will not be lost in the foray of the sin in your life. That's why, Christian, if you're struggling in sin today and you truly know you know Christ and you are fighting that temptation and that sin, pray to God that he would sovereignly by his spirit give you the grace to walk. Because God, as one preacher once said, God will put you on a leash if you're a Christian. And he will only let you go so far. I do not like dogs. My daughter does. I've told you that many times. She loves puppies. Please don't give us a puppy with soot on it. We don't want it right now, okay? But you know those dog things where um, I like cats and fish and birds and hermit crabs. That's what I like. But if you put a dog on a leash, it eventually will run out of leash, right? And what happens? Jerks back. Why? Because that's as far as that leech will go. If you are a Christian here today, according to Hebrews 12, God may allow you a period of time in your life where he allows you to sin, but he will bring you back like an owner of a dog and discipline you. Because if you run away from him, if you could run away from the salvation you have, Christian, then Pharaoh could have have, uh, basically gotten rid of God's plans, and that's not possible. Christian, if you're here today and God is disciplining you for your sin and you feel a heavy weight because of your sin, thank God for that. That is an evidence that God has saved your soul. If you're not a Christian here today, can I just give that other, thank you for bearing with the soot analogy. But one thing we have found is we have tried to clean. I mean, you, you wipe down a corner, you go to sleep and you wake up and that corner is covered in black again. Do you ever think about that? If you're not a Christian here today, there's no part of your life that you can clean up so well that God will say, bingo, I want you. There's no part of your life that God can say, look, uh, you know what? I saw you clean over there. That's great. I'm going to make you a Christian. And as long as you just tidy up over here, you're okay. Look, if you're not a Christian, the reality is that you have sinned against the holy God. And the only way to come to him is by the love shown to us on Calvary through Christ by repenting and believing the gospel. That is it. We'd love to talk to you about that. Friends, you say, I don't understand all this God stuff, but I understand God is good and he is. God, you're working out all things for my good. Amen. God, you're going to gain glory for yourself. Amen. God, you, even on my worst day, are the God who is God over all because you are the sovereign God. Friend, if you're going through a hard time, trust in him. He is trustworthy. Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity we have to to kick off this, this uh, study of God's sovereignty, Lord, and there's so much that could be said, so many questions, so much to do in such a short amount of time, even though it's a longer sermon than normal, even for standards here, Lord. Father, I just pray that as we go through this time, that we remember that you are the one who has planned all things. You know those who are yours, Lord. Father, I pray just continually, as we've said so often the last several months, that we pray for those who don't know Christ, even until the very end, that, Father, if you be so pleased in your wisdom and perfectness, that you might call them to yourself, not by their anything, but all by your grace. Father, help us to rejoice this week, not in anything we've brought to the table, but on everything you solidified when you said it is finished on the cross of your son. Father, I thank you so much that we have the opportunity this morning to know that truth. And I pray for anyone in without that truth this morning, Lord, that you would just be glorified in their lives. Father, thank you for the lovely people of Towerview. We are so privileged as staff to serve with them, alongside them, and and, uh, to be here. Father, I pray that each life here today, whatever is being faced, Lord, that they would trust the one, that's you, 
who knows all things, plans all things, and carries out all things. Maybe not the easiest road, maybe the road less taken, but Lord, the road that you lead us on is the road that we want to be on. So Lord, give us that wisdom. Lead us by your spirit. We love you so much, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.